Well, good morning, Mosaic. So glad that you guys are here. So glad that we get to be together uh, on this first week of Advent, uh, the Advent season. And so for the Advent season, we're starting a new series called Songs for a King. Um, the Advent season, it's a season of anticipation. Uh, we anticipate uh, remembering. We anticipate that, that this day is coming and this day did come 2,000 years ago when God came in the flesh. Uh, but the Advent season is also about, for us, it's that anticipation of looking to the future. That the scriptures promise that Jesus will come again and he'll reign as king for, for all eternity. And so it's that place of anticipation for the future as well. Uh, and so Advent, this is, this is week one, and we wanted to go through a series, which is in the book of Luke, we find four songs uh, in the first two chapters of Luke. Two songs are before Jesus' birth, and two songs are after Jesus' birth. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, one of those songs each week. Uh, this week, we're focusing on Mary's song. Um, and I, I love these songs. And if you, these songs in the scriptures are kind of like flyover passages. Uh, because if you're like me, uh, you, you've never really noticed them that much before. You kind of just get to it and you're like, okay, moving on. I want to see what's, what's going on in this story after this. Uh, but these songs are meant to get us, give us pause, meant to get us to reflect. Uh, these songs are a lot like, uh, they're flyover passages, right? Just like Nebraska's the flyover state, right? You, you kind of, you don't pay attention to them, but then when you really dive into it and you get to the heart of what they're trying to say, there's so much richness and beauty to it, uh, just like our beautiful state as well. Um, so these, these songs, I, I want us to really kind of dive into them, but music, right? Music is one of those things that's, it's powerful. Music is such a powerful force. Uh, music is, it's one of those things that, um, that is so, so ingrained a part of our life. Last week we talked about the question was, is there anything that you take for granted in life? Uh, and no one said music. And I think, imagine a world without music. How boring would that be? Uh, I have some beautiful quotes that I found. Uh, Nietzsche said, without music, life would be a mistake. Plato said, music gives a soul to the universe, wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and life to everything. Albert Einstein said, if I were not a phys physicist, I would probably be a musician. I often think in terms of music. I live my daydreams in music. I see life in terms of music. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a famous theologian in Nazi Germany, he said, music will help dissolve your perplexities and purify your character and sensibilities, and in time of care and sorrow, will keep a fountain of joy alive in you. Martin Luther said, my heart, which is so full to overflowing, has often been solaced and refreshed by music when sick and weary. Right? Music is a big deal. Uh, imagine like uh, Quentin Tarantino, I heard him say that the music, the scores of his films are the soul of his movies. Uh, because when you're watching a movie, mu music has this ability to kind of manipulate and affect your emotions. Has anyone ever heard of an instrument called a water phone? Not many. Listen to this. Check this out. I have a quick little, and what feeling does this give you? There we go. It's freaky, isn't it? That's the devil's instrument right there. 
<laughs> Landon, let's utilize one of those, man. Oh, no, thank you. Right? It's like that instrument was invented for horror movies. Because when you hear that, you get this feeling of being frightened. You get this feeling of being scared. Uh, partly because uh, when you watch horror movies, they're utilizing those sounds. Um, has anyone ever heard of something called the shepherd's tone? Shepherd's tone? Shepherd's tone is really interesting. It, it fills you with uh, anxiety. So let's, let's hit that one. Right? It's like you, you feel like something's about to explode, don't you? But it's an infinite loop, right? It, it sounds like it's always increasing, and it's always increasing, and it's always increasing, but it's actually a trick. So it's this unfulfilled anxiety that you feel, uh, and they'll, they'll put these sounds in movies to make you feel that way. This study where they had people listen to music, and uh, while they were listening to music, they had tasks to give them, and they would send them electrical shocks, while they're listening to music, and they would randomly send them electrical shocks. And what they found was that the more tasks they gave them to concentrate and listen to the music, the less they felt pain. And it's because our body uses the same receptors uh, that experience emotions, um, blocks a lot of the pain receptors. Uh, It's also been proven that uh, music will put you in a good mood. The University of Berlin, they, they found that when you're sad and you listen to sad songs, it actually builds empathy in you for the person who experienced something tragic, uh, but you hadn't had to experience that yourself, and so it builds empathy. And it's why actually sad songs when you're sad make you happier. Um, music, scientifically proven to help you sleep. It enhances cognitive performance, and it's been proven that Marvin Gaye's music helps you conceive children. No, that's not true. Maybe it is. Maybe. But man, music, it just reminds me of moments in my life. Uh, I remember when, uh, when I was in college, I had a 1987 Chevy S10 pickup truck. The thing was the best, right? And it had a CD player that I installed myself in it, and I had one CD that I listened to. And at the time, my wife, Nicole, and I, we were friends. And so I had this one CD that was a, it was just a mixed CD of my favorite classic rock songs. And Nicole would make fun of me. She's like, why are you listening to this music? This is my dad's music. And so I loved it. But every time I turned off my car and started it again, it would go back to song one. And song one was Hotel California by the Eagles, right? And so every time I hear Hotel California, it reminds me of falling in love, it reminds me of just being friends with my wife, and I wanted to be more than friends, and she didn't. Right? And I eventually wore her down and convinced her to like me. Um, or when uh, my wife and I, we were in the process of adopting our son, Manny, uh, we drove to the hospital for an hour every day to visit him, visit his birth mom. Uh, and the, the Lumineer song, I Belong With You, You Belong With Me, was on the radio. Um, and every time we were in the car, that song came on. On the drive there, on the drive home, and every time I hear that song now, it reminds me of meeting my son for the first time. Music has this power over us. It allows us to kind of reflect on the past, uh, and then it really just clears this space in us for the future. Uh, And these biblical songs, they, they actually are intended to do the same thing. 
They're intended to clear space uh, to prepare us for the presence of our king. Right? They're, they're intended for these times and these moments and these people to clear space, to get ready, to prepare themselves for the presence of Jesus. Uh, and so the first song that I, that I want us to really go through today is the first song that we find in Luke chapter 1, uh, and it's Mary's song. I, I love the Christmas story because the most heroic character in the Christmas story is Mary. Uh, Mary is this woman who basically risks everything. Sometimes Joseph gets credit because he didn't divorce Mary and he stuck it out with her. Uh, and he should. It was a really difficult decision for him. But Joseph, if he would have rejected Mary, he would have found another wife. He had a trade to fall back on. But a pregnant teenager, uh, women were some of the most vulnerable people in that society. Uh, and to be a single mom with a kid in that society, she's in one of the most vulnerable places. And she chooses this life. She chooses to say yes uh, to God's calling on her life. And she risks it. And she is by far the most heroic character in the Christmas story. And so in reading that and just reflecting on that this week, women, God is calling you to something profound and important. And don't let anyone diminish uh, what God has placed in your heart, that dream, that calling, that vision he's birthed in you. And then really for us as men, just like Joseph, how are we coming alongside the women in our life and empowering them? to see that vision that God has placed in them to be birthed and to come to fruition. And so what I want us to do is I, I just want us to kind of slow down and read um, starting Luke 1.1 all the way through Mary's song. Um, and so I'm going to invite Chris Bettendorf to come up and read that for us. Um, Chris is one of our best leaders here at Mosaic. Chris leads the connection table out there. But her husband, John and Chris, lead one of our mosaic groups. And you guys do such a phenomenal job with that. And uh, Chris is one of, you're just a profound thinker. And, uh, and I'm excited for the day that Chris uh, can, is, will be up here and preach a full message to you guys. She's part of a communication collective right now with Jeff Miller, training up some of our younger communicators how to craft a message. Uh, and so if you would, would you just... Give it up for Carissa as she reads this today. Do you want to use that one or this? Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abiyah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the eyes of the, of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. 
your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and are you, you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord, and I have been sent to you to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month, Gabriel sent the, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt within her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. 
Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy be his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's give it up for Carissa. Thank you. And you know, we purposely uh, didn't put the words up on the screen because one of these ancient traditions is the reading of Scripture. You know, before the printing press, the way that you read the scripture was actually to hear it read out loud uh, in community. And so we, we wanted to create that experience for us today. So uh, to give us like context for Mary's song, right? And so Mary's song you have, you should have gotten it on your handout when you came in through the door. And it's also written up here, right? To give us really a background to understand what's happening here is we have... Mary living in Rome occupied Israel, right? And so Rome is occupying their territory. King Herod is sort of a puppet king for the, for, for the Roman Empire, who's, who's, he's kind of a nasty person. He's a nasty person, but he's a genius politician. And so what he does is he actually rebuilds the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And he does it to create tourism, so that Jews from all over the world will come to the temple uh, for financial prosperity. And because he does this, what ends up happening in the nation is that there's this huge disparity between the rich and the poor. And the religious elite of the day were one of the very, very rich uh, because of what Herod did to rebuild the temple and to create that religious tourism. So then this dynamic is created for the people of Israel where really the religious practices are thriving, but they're still under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And so there's this longing for what they call the Mashiach, the Messiah to come, the anointed one, that that one day a king will come just like King David and he will overthrow this empire and that they can be a nation again. And so this is the climate, this is the day, this is what people are expecting. Mary would have lived with her extended family in a really small house, uh, in a really small community. She's from a town called Nazareth, which would probably only have about 400 people who lived in the whole town. But the neighbors would have lived really right next to each other. Uh, They would have been harvesters of olives uh, and uh, of dates and figs, and they would have harvested grains. Um, And they would have known very quickly uh, if a young girl became pregnant, right? And so then Mary, what what does her family do? They ship her off to her aunt's house. (laughs) You don't want the neighbors talking, right? And then she gets to Elizabeth's house, and then she sings this song. Uh, And we don't have the music to the song, but we have her words. 
Uh, and we have what she communicates and what she says. And so the reason why I kind of wanted to put it on the whiteboard and I wanted to have it entirely on our handout today is because sometimes when we read things like Psalms or we see songs or biblical poetry, we think, oh, okay, Mary's just kind of doing this improvised on the fly, right? She sees Elizabeth and she just bursts out into song like it's a musical, right? Just off the top of her head, right? That's not, that's, that's, that's not, that is not what's happening. That's not what's happening right now, okay? What's happening is Mary has crafted this poem. And sometimes we don't always see it because when we just fly over and we just read it quickly and we don't pause, we don't rest in it, we don't meditate on it, we miss it. We miss a lot of the, a lot of the things that she's trying to communicate here. And so I've kind of broken this up for us. Um, I've had the opportunity to take a biblical poetry class this uh, last semester at Pillar Seminary. Uh, Eric Smith, who's the president and founder of Pillar, he preaches here every now and then. But um, really, when we can break down the structure of these poems, it actually begins to reveal the significance of these poems. And so what we see in this poem, this song that Mary writes, is I I want us to kind of break it up a little bit. I want us to break it up because when we break it up, we can kind of see what she's trying to get at, where she's trying to go. Uh, And so you can actually do this and you begin to make these practices when you read through the Psalms, especially, is you can kind of begin to see these structural things forming. And then it actually helps you to read it, helps you to really meditate on it. So the first thing that we see is, uh, in your handout anyways, can we actually get the first line up on the slide here, is we see it kind of broken out. Perfect. Thank you. You see how on this, on this handout that you got, and if you also open up a Bible, it kind of has these weird indents, right? It kind of has, my soul glorifies the Lord, and then it's indented, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And that's because in the original text, that's what's happening. It's written down line by line, so they know it's a poem. And so what we can do is we could kind of take that, and we could kind of go with it. Uh, and this is called a cola, Right? So this would be cola A is my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And you could kind of follow that pattern here. And that's why I've kind of split it between A and B. And then if we read this part, we see that who's my? This is Mary's song. Who's my? This is Mary. She's talking about herself right now. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant Who is his servant? Mary is his servant, right? From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. And then she says, holy is his name, right? So that should clue you into, she's kind of broken a little bit of her structure. It's kind of been like A, B, A, B, A, B. And then she inserts this, holy is his name. And then we see that happening because the next line is, his mercy extends to those who fear him. So she goes from talking about herself and her own experience to all of a sudden she's talking about someone else now. So we could kind of take this section right here and we could say this is, this is the section that Mary's talking about herself now. That she's saying that she's saying the humble state uh, of his servant, right? So that she's experienced, she's calling herself humble and she's saying that she's a servant of God. And then it goes on to say, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
right? The book of Proverbs said, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, right? Fear is just, it's that deep sign of respect that God is all powerful and we are not. And that this God who is all powerful deserves our, our respect. And it's a healthy fear, like we have this healthy fear uh, of our parents, right? We don't want to disappoint them because they love us and we love them, right? So those who fear the Lord, uh, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And the idea of the arm of God is actually, uh, it's judgment. Uh, we see this uh, a lot in the Old Testament, actually. In the book of Exodus, we find this, um, this is a part when God's talking about the, the Egyptians, speaking through Moses. Say, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Right? And so God is saying essentially what he did for the Israelites in Egypt, he's going to be doing again. He's going to be doing again for those people who are in those positions of pride and power. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away. And then she says he, she, he has helped his servant Israel. So all of a sudden she's talking about kind of these big ethereal others, big picture stuff. And then she goes back again to Israel. So we kind of have like another break there. And so we can really break this poem up into those three chunks. So kind of staying in this second chunk here, especially these two lines, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Is that the way the world works right now? Right? Are the humble the ones who are on top, but the rulers the ones who are brought down? No. And that's not what she's experiencing in her day either. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Is that, is that the way the world is right now? It's not. And it's, it wouldn't have been for her. And so what, what God is essentially saying through Mary in this is that what's happening is a reversal. That, that this kingdom that is coming, this, this king, this Messiah, he's going to flip the whole world, uh, flip everything upside down. I love what um, the theologian and biblical scholar Tim Mackey, what he says about it. Uh, he says, the reversal of her own social status in Mary's song points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God will bring down rulers from their throne and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. Because just as Mary's state, Mary who's living in absolute poverty, just as her status is going to be flipped upside down and her humility as a servant, and now all generations will call her blessed, just as this reversal for her own social status is happening, what she's saying in here is that God is actually going to do this for the whole world. He's going to do this for the whole world. And how is he going to do it? How is he going to make this happen? How is this reversal going to come? And it's this last line. He has helped his servant Israel. So again, she is God's servant, but Israel is also God's servant, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. 
right? Because she's saying how God is going to create this reversal is through this promise that he gave to Abraham. And the reason why we told that whole story of Luke is because right when you get into the book of Luke, we have this story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, an older couple who have not been able to have children. And then all of a sudden, God does a miracle in them and allows them to have a child. And that triggers the memory of uh, a first century person reading this is going to know, oh, this reminds me of the story of Abraham and Sarah. Just what's happening with Zechariah uh, and Elizabeth is just like what happened with Abraham and Sarah. That they were uh, an older couple that God promised them, through your descendants, Abraham, the whole earth is going to be blessed. That you will be a nation blessed by God so that you will be a blessing to the world. And that this is coming to fulfillment now. How do we allow this to kind of wash over us? How do we allow this to prepare uh, us for the presence of our King as we look to Christmas in this Advent season and as we look for Jesus to come again one day, what's our response? Our response is that God is going to humble the proud and he's going to exalt the humble. And so for us, we have to look at where, where in our life are we uh, rich and powerful and prideful? What are those areas in our life that God needs to humble us? That when we look in the mirror, we say, yeah, like, I'm just like Egypt. I'm the powerful who's actually taking advantage of the powerless, right? And God does want to humble us. And I think there's, it, it takes a lot of humility to say, God, I need you to humble me. And then for those of us who find ourselves in that place of just exhaustion and anxiety and depression, and maybe just like Mary we kind of, we see and we're waiting and we're anticipating this change to come and we can't see it coming. Uh, and then just really just for us anticipating that God is still at work in the midst of it. Because this Hebrew people, they've been waiting for years and years and years for something to come and something to change. And there's a lot of people, generations that came before Mary that never saw it. Uh, and so where in our own life do we, do we really need to know that God is at work even if we can't see him at work? The thing I love about this reversal is that who is blessed in this, right? The humble are blessed. The hungry are blessed. When Jesus uh, grew up and when he preached the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, who does he say is blessed? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And so it's this reversal where the people who are actually at the bottom, that's where Jesus is present. That this reversal is happening and the humble will be exalted. That the poor, the mourning, the meek, those, those will be blessed. And so what if we kind of as a church in this Advent season, what if we embraced Mary's song? What if we embraced Mary's poem and we say, God, we we want you to humble us as a community. So where in my life do I need to be humbled? And then where do we as a community, where do we as a people, uh, where do we need to be blessed? 
Where do we need to know that you are at work, even if we can't see that you're at work? And so where do you find yourself in this Advent season? How do you let this song for a king, how do you let this song just kind of wash over you and encourage you and kind of prepare your heart for Christmas season and for the eventual coming of Jesus? And so what I want to do just to kind of close out today is I want us to kind of just allow this song one last time to wash over us. And I want you guys to kind of just close your eyes, bow your head. uh, And I want this song to be our prayer this morning. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God, our souls glorify you today. Allow our spirit to rejoice in you, our Savior. That you have saved us from our own pride. You have saved us from our own selfish way of thinking. And God, you have saved us for eternity that you can be our king forever. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God, help us to be mindful of, just encourage us right now, those places that that we have truly been humble those places where we truly find us, find ourselves uh, in our lowest places, that you would just encourage us. Those places where maybe we find ourselves in poverty or depression or sadness or shame, um, that you will work in and through us. And God, we give ourselves to you today to be your servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God, help us to have that healthy fear and respect for you. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. God, those areas of pride in our own hearts and our own lives, I pray that those will come to the surface, those will pop into our heads here and now, and that we will have the courage to confess those to you. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. God, we are hungry for your good things. But he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. God, I thank you that even when we can't see you at work, that you are at work. And just as you worked through uh, the people of Israel 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, that you are still working through us now, your servants, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. God, I thank you for your promises. And I thank you that your promises are forever and ever. And that you have this promise that when we come to you in confession, that you forgive us. 
And that when we come to you with our whole lives, we get to see this reversal happen in our own hearts. This reversal happen in our homes. This reversal happen in our neighborhoods. This reversal happen in our world today. And even if we look around the world and we can't see it, that you are at work underneath the surface of it all. And so God, today, this is, this is still our hope. That Mary's song is still our hope today. That we hope and we pray for this reversal to continue and to come in its fruition and its fullness and everything. That Jesus, you will be king and that you will exalt the humble, you will exalt the hungry, you will exalt the poor. And that you will reign forever and ever. And so, Jesus, we long for that day to come. We want that day to come. But now we find ourselves in that place of longing and waiting. And we say, thank you, God, that you've brought us here. Thank you, God, that you have brought us to this place. And so today, God, we give our hearts to you. We give our lives to you. And we say thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.